They say that seeing is believing. I want you to hear this firsthand account of a man who lived in Chattanooga County, Georgia. I leave, uh, I leave for work before daylight. I live way out in the sticks, as folks say. I hadn't been a mile or so from home when my headlights caught something. I first took it to be some idiot in a monkey suit, but then I thought, why on earth would anyone do that out here in the middle of nowhere before daylight? I got, I would guess, within 20 feet of it. My mind was trying to get some realistic answer. It was not a bear. This thing stood, I would guess, seven to eight feet. This thing stood upright, just like you and me. It stopped in about the middle of the road, and I stopped to keep from hitting it. Still unsure of what it was, I got a very good look at it. What it was, I don't know. What I saw, looked like a big, huge monkey walking just upright like you and me. Will some people say I'm crazy? Sure they will. That's okay. I wouldn't believe it either if I hadn't been the one to see it. You know what it was. It was Bigfoot. <laughs> Some people make fun of me for believing in Bigfoot. I don't know why. Martha will send me a text message sometime in the evening and say, Joe, turn on Discovery Channel. They just found Bigfoot. <laughs> and I do. My son in Oregon sent me a, 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 a bumper sticker decal that goes on the back of your car. It's an outline of the state of Oregon. And in the middle of it is Bigfoot. And I put it on the back of my car. And one of these days, you're going to be camping in Montana or Wyoming or somewhere. And all of a sudden, you're going to see him. And you're going to call me. And you're going to say, I'm sorry, you were right. Because seeing is believing. What would it take, really, for you to believe in Bigfoot, or for that matter, the Loch Ness Monster, or that the Cleveland Browns could win a Super Bowl? <laughs> I know. You'd have to see it, right? At this point, we all become citizens of Missouri. Show me. Give me the show me uh, uh, test, and then I'll believe. Just as long as I see, I'll believe. My, my mother tells me that when I was just five months old, that, that she sat me on her lap and turned on the television so that I could watch Neil Armstrong step onto the moon. She said, I wanted you to be able to say that you saw it. Well, sad to say, I can't remember it, okay? Um, but I still believe it happened. I believe, in a real irony of history, it's something I actually saw that I can't remember. So I believe that Neil Armstrong walked on the moon because it's recorded history, just like I believe that, that Abraham Lincoln was shot at Force Theater. I believe that Washington crossed the Delaware. I believe that, uh, that Lee surrendered to Grant at Appomattox Courthouse. None of these things that I see, but I believe them to be true. Because sometimes you don't get to see. I remember one time I was in an airport. Um, I was coming back from, uh, from a meeting in Texas. I think I was in the Dallas airport. And I was with another uh, friend of mine, also a priest. And, and his wife was there. And, and she says to him, as, as wives do, Rick, did you bring that carry-on case? And and he had set it down at the end of the seat so she couldn't see it. And he said, yes, I have it. And she waited a few minutes and she kind of looked around and she said, Rick, are you sure you brought that carry-on case? Because I don't see it. And, and I'm sitting opposite of them. And I said to her, Dodie, the carry-on case is like God. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not here. You know, it's right there. I can see it with my own eyes. Sometimes you don't get to see. It doesn't mean it's not true. The prophet Isaiah knows something about seeing and believing. He lives about 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And I believe it happened on a Sabbath's eve, on a, on a Friday night, that he goes to the temple in Jerusalem. 
And hence he's there. He, um, the, the liturgy begins, the, the, the worship of, of God for the people of Israel. And Isaiah suddenly has a vision. He, has, he, he, has, he sees something. He doesn't see it with his eyes, not the way that you see me right now. He has a vision in his mind's eye. Like if I said to you, imagine a tree, and suddenly you have a tree in your mind. Isaiah sees God something like that, but with a greater level of intensity. And it's odd. He doesn't begin to jump for joy. He doesn't clap. He doesn't yell. He doesn't even shout hallelujah. And it's not because it's Lent. He doesn't do any of these things, but he has a different sort of reaction. He's shaken to the core of his being. I think that maybe Isaiah is first of all blown away by the sheer enormity of God. The massiveness of God. Isaiah worshipped in a temple that was built architecturally not unlike this building here. With an outer court, an inner court, and a holy space where only the priests could go. Only it was walled off and you couldn't see into there. But you knew that it was the smallest of all spaces. That the priests alone go into the presence of God. And maybe, maybe somehow Isaiah had begun to believe that God was indeed confined to that small space. And did you hear what happened when he sees God, when he begins to get a vision of what God is like? And the temple was filled with just the hem of his garment. The train of his robe filled the temple. Just the end of his robe fills the space. Isaiah is is amazed that God is bigger than he could possibly have imagined. And he is sitting on a throne high and lifted up in power in majesty, in authority. Um, this is, this is E.J. Young says, this is a, the scene of God as judge and king. In our world, um, we, we sort of don't offer the sort of deference to um, political and, and ruling types, perhaps because we live in a democracy. If we don't like the current president, we can just wait him or her out, right? Or if we didn't like the last one, we're glad we got a new one. You know, we, And so we probably even imagine if we didn't like a president or a ruling authority and that they would call and offer us an invitation to come to the White House, we might say, eh, not so interested, I'll wait for the next one. Yeah, you into that. But some people might. <laughs> but not in Isaiah's world. The king has real authority. The king has real power. The king has power over one's life. And so this is a king with a capital K. I don't know why, but I almost made it into a a sign language K. A capital K. A judge with a capital J. One who stands over all of humanity with real power, in fact, with ultimate power. Isaiah begins to see something else, too, doesn't he? He sees angels, seraphs. In, in Hebrew, seraphim, multiple seraphs. And these seraphs are flying around, and they have six wings, and with two they cover their face, and two they cover their feet, and with two they fly. The angels, in the presence of God, are so fearful of looking into the presence of God that they cover their faces. Angels in heaven are fearful of looking upon the Almighty. Imagine Isaiah, a mere mortal. And they cry out, Holy, holy, holy. In Hebrew, if you want to make a word into a superlative, you simply repeat it. 
there are no superlative forms. So if you wanted to say something was pure gold, you simply would say gold, gold. Pure gold. If you had a bowl of cherries and they were full of pits, you would simply say pits, pits, they're full of pits. Nowhere else in the Hebrew Scriptures is there a thrice-repeated adjective. Holy, holy, holy. It's almost absurd. It's almost like saying, this is the bestest. You know, um, It's a word that doesn't exist. Thrice holy. That God is bigger than he could be imagined. He is far holier than we could have imagined. Uh, you know, sometimes I, I wonder, um, as we think about the holiness of God, that tends to be just about issues of, of like moral character, like that, that God is, um, God is uh, without any sin. But, but of course that is that. But in, the, in Hebrew, holy doesn't just simply mean without sin. It's not just moral purity. It's one of a kind. It's unique. It's unlike any other. I was thinking about this word unique. Um, when, when I was in dissertation writing, I wrote that, uh, in one line a, a sentence that something was sort of unique or kind of unique. Um, and, and my editor said, what do you mean kind of unique? Unique means one of a kind. It's either unique or it's not. What do you mean? I said, well, it's rare. She said, then why don't you say it's rare? <laughs> because that's the way you should say it. God is unique, one of a kind, unlike any other being in the universe. Morally pure, yes, but not like us. Glorious in radiance. And Isaiah sees this and it blows him away. And it's terrifying. He's afraid. See, I don't think he sees the form of God as the way that you see my form standing here. It's not like that. He sees God for his attributes, for what he's like, not his appearance. And then he sees one other thing. He sees himself. Woe is me. Sometimes I wonder, um, I wonder what sort of a, a Christian I am. I don't know if you ever do that. I sort of wonder how I'm doing, and it's usually not very well. <laughs> I'm usually, um, most of you I rank ahead of me, okay? Um, so I, I try to think about, like, what about people that I knew, you know, people in my life that had helped bring me to faith and sort of discipled me, and, you know, people that I, I kind of viewed as, as, um, as mentors and, and people to look up to. And then I think about people in, in church history, you know? I think about people like Thomas Aquinas or, um, or, uh, or St. Augustine or Martin Luther or John Wesley or John Calvin, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, people that, you know, way up here. Here's Joe, like, you know, like way down here, over here somewhere. And here's God, way, way up there. Woe is me. I am undone. This is what Isaiah says because he sees himself. Eugene Peterson translates this, doom. It's doomsday. I'm as good as dead. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. What's going to happen to me? And you heard what happened, right? One of the seraphs flies over to the altar. And takes a fiery coal off of the altar and brings it to Isaiah and places it upon his lips. And he has clean lips because God has done for him what Isaiah could not do for himself. He could not cleanse himself. And so God does. This is grace that God does for Isaiah what he could not do for himself. And then asks a question. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? 
and many of you are old enough to remember these graduates. They do not remember this. But those of you who are their parents and grandparents, you remember the show Welcome Back, Carter. You remember this? Welcome Back, Carter. There was this guy, Horshack. And Horshack was always had the answer to every question, but he had to wait to be called on. And so he would, oh, 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 I know the answer. I know the answer. I don't think when God says, who shall I send and who will go for us? I don't think Isaiah is saying, oh, oh, here I am, it's me. I think it's more like this. Here am I. Send me. Because he's afraid. He's terrified. He knows that he's not up to the task unless God does something for him. Oh, my sisters and brothers, what would happen today in the life of this parish, in the life of this community, if we began to see God as he really is? Powerful, majestic, bigger than we ever imagined. Unlimited by human, uh, you know, spatial requirements. Above and beyond. And what would happen to the church if we didn't see the, the operations of the church as running some religious organization, but as, as listening and responding to the call of God in the world? And what would happen if we, if we were so... Um, fearful of of failing in, in the eyes of God that we didn't even care about the rejection of people. If we remember that we are commissioned by our baptism to go into the world and be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And graduates today, I wonder what would happen in the life of your college experience or your career experience if you go forth into this answering this call. I'll go. Send me. And got a vision of of the Lord high and lifted up, smoke, the earth trembling, power and majesty. And if the Lord said, you know, who will go to Kent or to Ohio State or to Boston College? Who, who Who will be a witness for me in the workforce or in the church? Who will be this witness in the world? And maybe it'd be frightening. Maybe it'd be kind of terrifying. I'll go. Send me. Because here's the truth. God is holy and infinite and more powerful than we can imagine. And our knowledge is finite. Our opinions are flawed. Our strength is inadequate. We depend upon him. But we cannot depend upon him if we have the flawed vision of who God is. Anne Lamott says this, she says, You can safely assume that you've created an idol in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people that you do. (laughs) And she goes on to say, and shares all your political opinions. (laughs) When Isaiah sees God, he thinks he's going to die. He's terrified. And I wonder what would happen if we saw God today ourselves. That pride, that arrogance that we cling to, fall off, that self-assurance, that self-confidence, an awareness of who we are, our own own fallenness, our, our own mortality, our own sinfulness, that we would cry out to God, do something in me, because by the the way I am now, I can't do this. And if I try on my own, I keep failing. Do something in me that I cannot do for myself and empower me to be the person you want me to be in the world. Today is Trinity Sunday in addition to Graduate Sunday. The first article in the 39 Articles of Religion in the Church of England 
And in every other major uh, systematic theology in the world is always the Holy Trinity. How do we explicate the Trinity? How do we diagram the Trinity? We can't. We simply must accept it. We must affirm it. Because God is not a person to be mastered. He's not an idea to be mastered. He is a person to be worshipped. And he is bigger, holier, mightier than we could ever get our heads around. Oh, what would happen today if we could only see God? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.